0: Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Avery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com.
1: Today I am joined by two senior managers of the firm, Heidi Senses and Mike Johnson, both of whom have tremendous retail industry and consulting backgrounds. We're going to talk about the importance of master data management as the ultimate foundation for so many of the initiatives and capabilities that retailers and consumer brands are chasing. Parker Avery recently published a case study focused on master data. During this project, we helped a major home decor retailer define and standardize product attributes across their assortment of over 50,000 items. The objective of this project was to improve the omnichannel customer experience and merchandising effectiveness. In light of many other publications we've all seen focused on omnichannel delivery capabilities, supply chain visibility artificial intelligence, advanced analytics, and other new technology, that case study got a surprisingly good amount of attention. I hypothesize that it may be that now that lockdowns are lifted in many cases and the scramble to merely survive is not as intense. Companies are now realizing they must refocus their efforts on shoring up this not-so-sexy foundation stuff like master data. Those other capabilities can come to reality and really drive business results. And with so much of a focus on really embracing omnichannel, as in the case study, all that foundational data needs much more scrutiny, attention, and governance. Good afternoon, Heidi and Mike. Nice to have you join me. Good afternoon. Hey. So, Mike, let's start off with the case study. Can you tell me about the retailer's background and what prompted the need for the project?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. So the, the client is a large home decor retailer uh, who has always been focused on their in-store interactions with their customers. So a very, very small online presence, which was really more of a marketing a marketing tool as opposed to any type of transaction. As the business uh, exploded uh, in, in recent years, and especially as the uh, pandemic impacted everyone, they accelerated or decided to accelerate the capabilities around their omni-channel, and looking for ways to take advantage of the customer uh, loyalty that they have and be able to transact more with folks uh, in a way that supports the current environment. In in the past, uh, with their focus being on the in-store experience, um, a lot of the item creation details, et cetera, were really focused on what did the merchants need to understand or use to get their orders executed and get the product into the stores as quickly as they can. The the details around product uh, attributes, descriptions, et cetera, were really not customer-facing because that really wasn't their need at the time. But as they began to uh, look into the omni-channel capabilities and and looking to support uh, buy online, pick up at the store, et cetera, they really realized that they were missing a lot of key information in the details of the items that the customers see that would help them select select the products online. So they really decided that this uh, was important to kind of standardize and get a, a grip on what type of information they included in the items, uh, as well as to support some existing projects that were related to additional technology capabilities. So um, it was really trying to get ahead of that and support both online capabilities as well as some technology upgrades.
1: Thanks, Mike. Uh, Heidi, let's turn to you. I know you've been involved in quite a few pricing projects. What elements of master data governance have surfaced in those projects that you would deem as key to the project success?
2: So a lot of pricing has to do with identifying product characteristics, the relationships between products, as well as applying rules to those different product characteristics to come up with reasonable pricing suggestions. So, you know, as a practical example, hey Mike, do you ever have a hankering for a good old PB and J? Who
0: doesn't?
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, who doesn't? But what happens when you don't have any J? So you run down to your local grocery store and you see that, hey, they've got grape and raspberry and strawberry and boysenberry and they're all priced differently. And that makes no sense to a consumer and that and it makes no sense to anyone walking in there, especially with online shopping when you start seeing different prices for products that should be priced the same. it's It makes absolutely no brand sense and no marketing sense. So one of the things you need to be able to do is be able to group those products into a single entity to say grape is always priced the same as strawberry. And even if boysenberry doesn't have the same demand as grape, I don't care. It's still going to have the same price. Because you also think about the shelf labeling that the stores have to do that they don't have to maintain four different shelf labels. Mm-hmm. So you need to find a way to group those products together to say, always give me the same price. The second piece, when you think about, let's say, grape jelly, because one, that's one thing about having a master item across different flavors. That's kind of standard almost. But when you think about you have grape jelly in two sizes, You want to make sure that the larger size has a better value per ounce or gram than the smaller size to make it more compelling to buy the larger size because you're saving a little bit of money if you can use jelly that fast. So in order to be able to support that in a pricing tool, you need the master data of those characteristics and those attributes to be able to have some kind of sustainable source for those product characteristics. So you don't want every time you're trying to do a pricing solution to try to track down where did that boysenberry fall to. You want to make sure they're all priced together when the rules engines apply towards the end of a process to make sure they come up with the same price. The other thing, though, is that it doesn't always just apply to pricing. It also applies, like Mike alluded to, a lot to assortment planning. How do I group my products and make sure that my T-shirts all are aligned, that I have the right reds, the right number of short sleeves? and even the pricing then applies that the red the blue the green always are priced the same until they go to markdown. Typically a lot of times we hear about this stuff is that it is maintained in excel which involves some kind of manual intervention and we all know that when you live in excel land mm-hmm. there is no governance and there is there are no guardrails preventing people from entering some gobbledygook or some acronyms that mean nothing to anybody right. into any kind of description or any kind of attribute. So the master data really helps automate these kind of activities to reduce the manual labor that is needed by an end user.
1: Well, it's interesting, Heidi, you mentioned the different, you know, your, in your example, the different flavors of jellies. Just last night, I was online at a, an apparel retailer looking at different shorts. And there were the same types of shorts, but different patterns. And some of the patterns were on sale or cle- even clearanced. How does that work into your example?
2: You're taking a couple of steps here. There's one where we are talking about just everyday pricing for things like jellies, where the assortment doesn't really vary that much. When you get into fashion, there's a point where you manage the base price, where you look at everything, at, then it's the same, and eventually you start ticking the box saying, it's the end of life for this pattern, it's the end of life for this color, and those go off on a different track and a different path where you may want to get a little bit more creative in your pricing, that the patterns all get priced differently or the different colors get marked down at a different standard. But it's a great way to make sure that you can reflect after the season on what happened, which were the colors that ended up going to mark down and be able to analyze that for the next season. But would you bring up a good point about fabrics is that to an end consumer, sometimes they don't understand the difference between a linen and a cotton and the difference between the pricing and what you also want to be able to do is ensure that you do that level of um, relationship pricing where you have a, something that's more of a luxury product compared to its more base product and that those are priced accordingly. A more common example are things like organic cucumbers versus just everyday cucumbers, that the organics have to be priced higher. Again, going back to master data, a system is not going to automatically know that this cucumber is organic and must be priced differently mm-hmm. than its buddy over here that's sitting in a bin someplace. So you need to be able to have that underlying data to distinguish these products to be able to make sure you can make the best pricing recommendations possible.
0: I would agree and, and just uh, comment as well, you know, kind of the, the loop that all of this attribution, if you, if you will, goes back and serves as a foundation for either in season or preseason planning or a reaction to the business that gives you insight to these particular groupings of product that behave in, in a way that you need and want to uh, maintain consistency. And without that kind of uh, controlled attribution or understanding of these product characteristics, uh, doing such a thing manually uh, by running uh, countless reports and, and trying to combine things, as, as Heidi said in Excel, uh, becomes daunting, if not impossible, based on the granularity of this type of information.
1: Well, you know, master data governance is, is really so critical, but it's it's not a really new concept. Um, why do you think it's not been given the proper attention until really only very recently?
0: Well, I'll go ahead and start with with uh, my thoughts on this here. You know, one of the things that as, as companies are looking to improve their capabilities, especially leveraging technology, et cetera, you're looking for things that have uh, obvious benefit uh, measurable impact things that are exciting and, and kind of leading edge uh, technology those are always the shiny objects I think that organizations look to master data is you know foundational to all of those type of, of things but uh, is often taken for granted and sometimes the impact is not realized of how important that continuity is to support any of these fancy initiatives that that are easy to to talk about when you're looking for getting projects approved.
2: Mike's absolutely right. The ability to write a compelling business case with an NPV and ROI on master data, that's a little bit tough compared to something like buy online, pick up in store. And I think until March of last year, even though companies were thinking about it, that, hey, my master data is a bunch of you know jumble, it was easy to keep it on their three-year roadmap in year three and then keep getting pushed out and pushed out, but last year, Turn the tide on a lot of things where we all of a sudden have to do more with less. We need to be able to do more automation and we need to have less manual effort being done by our end users, especially the people who are out there and making the decisions that are making money for the company. You don't want them spending their time doing busy work and maintaining attributes in a huge Excel pivot table. So being able to do more with less, you'd need the automation to do that, which means you need the master data clean to get there. And another thing I think that was really important that Mike talked about is the online shopping as the the pivot to going primarily shopping online. You need those products to be able to force searches to happen properly. Get your SEO to happen where your stuff gets to the top of the list. You need the metadata to be able to make sure that that happens. And even within your own website, if somebody's just looking for a pair of blue shorts, can they get to a pair of blue shorts? Mm -hmm. Or a pair of blue shorts with a short inseam versus a long inseam, people want to get information fast. And if you don't have the underlying capabilities to support that, your clients are going to get frustrated and they'll find somebody else who can support it and get them to where they want to go quickly.
1: Yeah, the user experience is definitely helped by good master data. I will attest to that with my online shopping experience from last night. Expanding on that, or aligning with that, what would you deem as master data governance best practices?
2: You know what? One of the things is that it's easy to just let it happen in the background and just expect everything happens well, and that everyone's following the rules, and the 18-page item setup instructions that were written 12 years ago are continued to be <laughs> followed and have never been updated, and that's not the case. you know. People find ways, you know, merchants and planners especially, they find a way around the system, which is good because that means that they find ways to be more efficient, but it's also bad because they're not following the rules that they should be. So one of the things that you need to do is have a team that really makes sure that the rules are being followed, and this is oftentimes called a data steward. Now, I looked up steward yesterday because I had been watching Titanic, and the definition of steward is a person who looks after people and brings them food. (laughs) <laughs> which makes it seem like it's not as important of a role as it really is within the organization. So there needs to be someone, and it's, and it's not every role within a data governance team, but at least the top member of that team needs to have a seat at the table when it comes to all things coming up with master data. Because one of the other things we find, too, is that When an ERP or foundational system was set up or a PIM was set up, there are 85 columns that could be used that were supposed to be able to capture everything. Well, okay, so what if I need to put a store in a zone now that didn't happen before and there's not a zone column? Well, okay. There's a store type which isn't kind of really being used, so I'm going to repurpose that even though that's not what it's really used for. The data steward or the, as I would call myself, the empress of data governance, (laughs) I would step up and say, we need to find a way to either relabel that column to be what it actually means. So you need someone who's maintaining the integrity and making sure that all the rules are being followed and that the team is actually having the level of confidence that things are being done properly within the organization.
0: I agree with with Heidi. I think that that's a a critical component to making sure that your master data is is managed appropriately. Um, I would say also from a, a second thought on the best practice is that you have to have all of the areas that are impacted by master data represented at the table, really. So the people that are really entering or utilizing all of the data components Need to have a voice in the decisions that arise around master data. So it's important that the people that are executing on this type of data, you know, when we go back to talking about whether it's pricing, uh, pricing decisions or assortment decisions, the people that are utilizing the, that data need to understand and have a say in how that data is set up. That will help them be the most efficient and be able to get their tasks done efficiently.
1: That makes sense, but. One of the questions in my mind is who owns the Master Data Governance? Who, who, Where does that steward or empress or whatever you want to call them, whatever that title is, where do they live within the organization?
2: It has to be a person who is a blend of business and knows just enough IT to be dangerous. What's important to remember is that the purpose of Master Data and the governance of it is to help the business resources make the best decisions possible to make the most money for the company as possible so it needs to be someone who understands i'm not just asking for this because i feel like it i don't need this field because i just have it as a whim it's because it's important and critical to our consumers and to the way we make business decisions so it's somebody who can understand that you know what it doesn't happen in a day but they also have the best needs of the business team in mind for this to be a solely it role It doesn't sound like it would be a a good idea because they're basically just saying, "Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it." I won't necessarily think it through of the benefits or the repercussions or the downstream impacts. As opposed to, "All right, so if I end up adding a new field that is for shoes for heel height, is that something that's going to be long lasting? And what does it impact? Is it going to be necessary to go into BI? Is it going to be necessary to be in the search on the website?" So it's someone who takes the whole big picture of how this data is being used into consideration.
0: No, I, I would definitely agree with Heidi on that. Um, I think one of the other key components um, around, and not not getting too much into the how, but one of the key components in master data is standardized. You know, it needs to be uh, controlled, and this is where I think the data governance team and the expertise Heidi spoke to is important because. You know, if you are allowing free free text in an attribute field, not everybody can spell. Uh, <laughs> not everybody can mean the same thing. Uh, to you know, it, it becomes complicated if you've got uh, such flexibility around an attribute that you don't really know what you're aggregating, and it can really have unintended consequences of not having that information standardized. So, I think it is important that this data governance body also understands what the attributes are going to be used for, kind of to Heidi's point, that the business under you know, can provide that type of knowledge um, and that IT can help to uh, ensure that those selected values are, are controlled and maintained.
2: And one other thing I would have to say about best practices is that if you're undergoing this process of redoing your master, master data or you are potentially looking at implementing a new ERP or some kind of a PIM or some place where items and their characteristics are being maintained or even locations and their characteristics is that one of the things we often find with their clients is that what they've done is set in stone. There's no room for growth. They can't either add new attributes. It's too complicated to unravel. They don't even know what half of them are. So make sure that you are thinking not just for today and not, don't just think of what do I need to do to get the job and meet my deadlines on this project and get my data up and running, but what are the long-term needs I may have with our strategic priorities to be able to make sure I have columns that could be repurposed and renamed. And also related to that, besides leaving room for growth, is also develop a cadence of a cleanup. Because a lot of times, like perhaps, you know, organic, which is such a big deal right now, 20 years from now, organic may not be that big of a deal. It may be something else. Make sure you go through a thorough data cleanup from time to time to ensure you're not just clogging up what's out there and having unnecessary stuff sitting in your environment that's never being used.
0: I would agree 100% with that. You know, one other comment on that is you know, kind of looping back to the future uses of this data. Um, if you don't do... the the cleansing or the purging of unused attributes and those are levels that are included in an assortment planning process or some other type of process related to it that aren't being used. All that does is is create uh, inefficiencies or confusion down the road. So it's really, uh, I couldn't agree more with Heidi on the fact that you really need to have those attributes useful, um, maintained, clean, and relevant.
1: That's a good segue into my minute to the world question. Heidi, I'll start with you. What advice would you give retailers and consumer brands who know they need to get a better grip on master data governance, but are really not quite sure where to start?
2: There's actually two things on this. First of all, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, especially if you have a large number of items in your assortment, if you're a big box retailer as opposed to a small, you know, luxury boutique type of company. It's not an easy undertaking and it's a, it's a time to just say, you know what, let's get this done and let's get it done right. The second thing is that this can seem, it's, it's just, you know, Mike and I are talking here and it's, we're making it sound so easy that, oh yeah, you just, you do this, this, and this. It can be overwhelming when you have to think about where do I even start? So if you're concerned or you have any nervousness about going forward with this, don't hesitate to reach out to help, ask for help. You don't need someone to guide you through necessarily the entire process, but at least to help you get started with what are the chunks I need to look at first, and how do I go from step A to step B to step C, and what are the checkpoints along the way I should make sure I follow to ensure I don't get to the end and realize I messed up on the very first step. So it's reach out for help if you don't know where to start.
0: Definitely agree with those points. Uh, I think those are critical. I have also kind of two, two primary thoughts on this. One is uh, just like almost any project of any, any kind, whether it's process related or technology related, it's important to have executive and leader, leadership behind the task. Um, again, kind of going back to the, the reason that a lot of places have put this off is it's not, as, it's not super exciting. It's not the, the latest technology. It's critical to anything that you may wanna do uh, but it, as, as with anything else, uh, executive and leadership, leadership sponsorship of, of this initiative is critical. And then second is really kind of similar to when we were talking about the governance piece, is Get your functional experts at the table to talk about data. Um, there's a lot of insight that, you know, Trisha, you kind of alluded to, or I guess it was Heidi that alluded to, you know, if you just gave this project to IT, they're going to execute what they're told. It's important to make sure that what they're told is meaningful to the business uh, in both a current and uh, in the growth state for the future is to make sure that you have that representation so that as you're building that flexibility to grow or to adapt as, as the, what's important changes that you've got that the right voices uh, making those uh, inputs.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, you two. Thank you so much. It's always nice speaking with you on a Friday afternoon. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tricia.
2: Thanks, Tricia.
1: So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group.